Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another Donneron Monologue podcast. I'm your solo host, as always, for these monologues, Bo. And before we get into the last episode for this week, but not the last episode of our series on Tetsuya Nomura, I do want to thank and uh, mention our longtime sponsor, longtime friend of the show, Ashley Luann Kay. You can find her on Instagram at the Minnesota Nurse. So follow her for a lot of fun content there. Guys, so Tetsuya Nomura is about this point in his career is about to do his most it's the biggest game of his life and this game is so mythological and so huge that there's a lot of mythology surrounding not only the production but the pre-production of this game how this game even came to be and it's a game i remember all of us were confused about when we saw that it was being released no one understood the story behind this game and the story behind this game still isn't fully understood we have a lot of different stories about how this came to be i'm talking of course about kingdom hearts uh it's no secret that kingdom hearts 2 is my favorite video game of all time i love kingdom hearts is my favorite video game series of all time narrowly beating out dragon quest Kingdom, and I've talked prominently about Kingdom Hearts. Today, I promise you, we're only going to be talking about Kingdom Hearts in regards to what it did for Tetsuya Nomura's career. So, if I'm repeating a bit of information, it's just important. Like, I can't talk to you guys about Tetsuya Nomura without talking about Kingdom Hearts. It was his directorial debut. It's his greatest work. It's it's phenomenal. It's his magnum opus. So, Tetsuya Nomura, uh, sometime in the late '90s, uh, had owned a Nintendo 64 and was playing Super Mario 64, and he was blown away by it. He thought it was incredible. Uh, and Super Mario 64 is an incredible game. It, it, it's it's funner than hell. It it's it, people were wondering how Nintendo would convert Mario into 3D, and when we played it, we were all just absolutely blown away. It was fantastic. Um, the platforming elements of Mario 64 are the gold standard to this day for a 3D platformer. Period. Um, it's 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 just as influential as the original Super Mario Brothers, uh, and and just more proof of Shigeru, Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto's genius. Uh, we are definitely going to be doing a week on him, so please tune in for that in this Criterion series. But um, so this game. Massive influence on Tetsuya Nomura. He came into the Squaresoft offices, talked about how much he loved it and how much he wanted to make a platform. And he's like, I want to direct a game. I want to make a game like this. And um, so uh, Shinji Hashimoto and uh, Hidenobu Sakaguchi, um, Shinji Hashimoto, of course, who is the brand manager for Final Fantasy at Squaresoft and now Square Enix, and uh, Hidenobu Sakaguchi, of course, the, the man at Squaresoft at this time, uh, both sort of laughed it off and was like, well, you know, if you want to make a platformer, you have to have characters as popular as uh, Super Mario. And the only characters in the world that are as popular as Super Mario characters are Disney characters. So there's that. Now, um, how Squaresoft actually came to work with Disney is the subject of a lot of mythology. we got a lot of urban myths going on about this. The most prominent one is that... Um, is that uh, Shinji Hashimoto was on the elevator with a Disney executive after this conversation with Tetsuya Nomura and uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi. Um, Squaresoft and uh, Disney actually shared a building in Japan. Their offices were located in the same building, and he just happened to be on an elevator with them and mentioned that they wanted to make a video game featuring Disney characters, and that conversation eventually turned into a meeting with uh, then-Disney CEO Michael Eisner. That's a little dubious dubious of a story. It's, it's a great story, but it's a little dubious. Uh, we're not sure that's actually what happened. Um, another one was that uh, Bob Iger, 
who was not yet the CEO of Disney. He was still working for the CEO of Disney, who, again, was Michael Eisner. But Bob Iger was charged with uh, popularizing Disney in Japan more so than it already was. And there were two sides of this project. And I've only found one source that said this, so I'm, I'm stating the dubiousness of this story as well, or the dubious nature, sorry. And um, so he was charged with uh, Disney Sea Japan and uh, revamping or making Disneyland Tokyo. I'm not sure. Uh, but also with partnering with Japan's most famous video. This is where the story gets really murky. The most famous video game developer in Japan, uh, Squaresoft, which isn't true. The most famous video game developer in Japan and the one I think Disney would want to go for would be Nintendo. But whatever. Um, they wanted to They wanted to make a... Th- the idea behind this story is Bob Iger was charged with popularizing Disney even more so in Japan, and he sought Squaresoft to literally make a Final Fantasy and um, Disney game. That that was their goal from the get-go. I just don't know about that. It, it, it's I've only found one source for the story, and it didn't cite any sources itself. Um, but the idea is that uh, Bob Iger set all this up and asked for Tetsuya Nomura by name. I would love to believe that, but the only source I found for this story was uh, someone who wrote a book about the background of Kingdom Hearts, and it's a wonderful book. It's an amazing book, don't get me wrong, But and he cites his sources on so many other things other than this story, and he says in the beginning that his work may be slightly mythological because he loves Tetsuya Nomura so much, which was one of the things that made me want to read the book. I would love to listen to outrageous stories about Tetsuya Nomura all day. He's my favorite video game director of all time. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that that story might not be 100% true. No matter what, it it is clear that Disney approached Squaresoft about making a game, whether it was because of this conversation in the elevator, whether it was because Bob Iger wanted to do this. Somehow, Disney and Squaresoft came into contact with each other. That's undeniable. It had to have happened, right? Um, Hidenobu Sakaguchi had remembered Tetsuya Nomura saying he wanted to make a platformer. And that there was a conversation where they would need Disney characters to do that. So he called Tetsuya Nomura into his office and offered him the job to direct this game. No one knew what this game would be about. Tetsuya Nomura was about to be in charge of a team that consisted of Squaresoft employees and Disney interactive employees. He was going to be answering to the largest entertainment company in the world. He had earned a lot of respect at Squaresoft. He would walk into this meeting with a lot of respect. But the way he would hold his ground and the decisions he would make and the fact that he wouldn't back down from the largest entertainment company in the world in order to make a better product. This isn't a story of defiance. This is a story of him knowing what would work. Him knowing what he wanted in his vision and knowing it would be best for all parties involved. This isn't him sticking it to Disney. This is him knowing what was best for them when they didn't know what was best for them. So either way, a meeting gets arranged where he's going to go. He's going to go meet with Disney executives to pitch this idea. Disney wanted the game to be about Mickey Mouse, Donald, and Goofy. Tetsuya Nomura uh, wasn't so sure about that. Um, so he came and he had a uh, he had drawn a little lion boy with a chainsaw sword, and he showed that to the executives, and they're like, "My goodness, what is this? You cannot put a chainsaw sword at a Disney game." So he, of course, was like, "Okay." Okay, fine. I've got another drawing. And he handed them who was to become Sora with the gigantic key in his hand. I have a hard time believing that he didn't do that on purpose. I have a hard time believing that he didn't uh, go into this meeting knowing how to play these people by giving them this horrible idea and then this slightly better one. And knowing that that slightly better one would look so much better than this past one that they'd be very open to it and be like, you know what? It doesn't really have to be about Mickey. So now... 
he's wormed his way into putting more Final Fantasy into this game by making his own original. And that story is a little dubious too, I'll admit. But I like it because it explains how he was able to tell a story with original characters and have Disney side characters and Final Fantasy side characters and have his original characters be the main part of this game, including his favorite character he's ever designed, Sora. So Sora is the main character now. He's got that. He, he has a caveat to Disney. Sora will be adventuring with Donald and Goofy, not an original party. Now, Donald and Goofy are Donald and Goofy in this game. And this is one of the strokes of Tetsunomura's genius, in my opinion, as far as this game is concerned, is that these characters are going to be... Uh, uh, are, they, they are the Dis- all the Disney characters and all the Final Fantasy characters are the characters he designed. They have the same personalities and everything. They just have different backgrounds. And he molded them into his world perfectly. It is not a Disney world. That is, it is more Disney than his Final Fantasy, but it's not a Disney world. It's not a Final Fantasy world. It's a Kingdom Hearts world. And the way he presented these characters with the freedom he had to present. The fact that he was able to win so much freedom from the largest in entertainment mega corporation in the world is incredible and how much it profited everyone involved is just a that alone is a testament to Tet- if Tetsuya Nomura if the only contribution he ever made to video games was the character designer of Final Fantasy 7 he'd be a legend he's a a, a a myth because of all this he he's absolutely incredible because of all this so um he has his original characters he has Disney characters in roles that he wants them to be in. And eventually, all of this gets to Michael Eisner, who was the CEO of Disney, uh, not for much longer, but he was the CEO of Disney at this time. And he agreed to all of this. He he wrote it off. He was like, fine, let the kid do what he wants. Um, but you can only use Mickey in one scene and he can't do anything violent. That's great. That's fine. That's cool. Um, that way he can make Mickey's appearance even more... Um, Big. So we, we get all this going. And uh, of course, we wouldn't see Mickey until the end of the game. That's for another podcast. But uh, so he's got all this now. So let's talk a little bit about the characters he designed. He designed Sora, his favorite character he's ever designed. Sora is pure hearted. That's the whole point to the Kingdom Hearts story. Sora loves helping his friends. Sora loves being a help to even strangers. Sora uh, has this innocence but bravery about him that sort of and he's endeared himself to millions of gamers around the world for this very reason in fact um kingdom hearts the first one actually have my copy sitting right here um the first kingdom hearts actually it would become also in addition to uh final fantasy 10 this is also one of the top 10 selling games for the playstation 2 of all time one of the top 10 selling games for the, the the number one selling home console of all time absolutely incredible um so we have Sora, and he grew up on an island, much like uh, Tetsuya Namira. He grew up on an island with uh, his friends Kairi and Riku, um, and that sort of tri- that the the Destiny Islands trio right there uh, really is the heart and soul of Kingdom Hearts, and in threes is very prominent in Kingdom Hearts. Uh, in fact, in the first game. Uh, one of your abilities in the field is Trinity abilities, which allow you, Donald and Goofy, to team up to discover secrets in the field. But so uh, Sora is this pure-hearted kid. Riku's got a little bit of darkness in him, but he he genuinely loves Riku and Kairi. And we see that there's sort of a friendly rivalry from the minute we meet Riku and uh, Sora. And the rivalry seems to be centered on the affections of Kairi. Um, one of the first things you do in the game is you have a foot race with Riku. And... Uh, Earlier in the game, the, it had been discussed that uh, there's a Palpo fruit, 
where if two people share one, their destinies are interlocked forever. And the stakes of this foot race that Riku and Sora are about to get into is whoever wins gets to name the raft they're going to use to explore the worlds because that's their goal. They want to go explore uh, other worlds because Kingdom Hearts, the world is made up of smaller worlds. That's how you get to go to Agrabah. That's how you get to go to uh, Arendelle and stuff like that in the third game. Uh, but... Um, so whoever wins this foot race, not only do, get to, do they get to name the raft, they get to share a Palpo fruit with Kyrie. After the race, no matter what the result, whether you beat Riku or whether he beat you, um, it, it's emphatic. It's been made emphatically clear that Riku was just kidding about the Palpo fruit. He was just joking. He was just trying to get under Sora's skin. So it, it becomes. It, so it, it seems he's just using affection with Kyrie. A a. a, a you know, adolescent view of affection uh, with Kyrie as something sort of to prod Sora on like any good rival. So as the game progressive, Riku and Sora are sort of taking two different directions. Sora teams up with Donald and Goofy to find the king and solve this problem. And Sora is the Keyblade wielder. And at this time, we believe he's the only Keyblade wielder in the world. And uh, he has the Keyblade. So he's the chosen one. Riku becomes jealous of this. Riku becomes jealous of his relationship with Donald and Goofy. Riku becomes jealous of his relationship with uh, the Final Fantasy characters that Tetsuya Nomura decided to put into this game. We'll more on them in a moment. Um, so Riku sort of takes a different path and teams up with the Disney villains to um, to save Kyrie and fix what's going on. But he thinks you fix what's going on by giving into what's going on. And this sort of sets him down a path to darkness, which he'll be on until the end of the game. And then this, that sets him on a very unique trip through the rest of the series. Kyrie is, Kyrie is important as a counteract to Sora. Uh, she is in so many ways, Sora's heart and this will be explored later in the game that uh, Kyrie's heart saves Sora. Sora's heart saves Kyrie. And there's sort of this, it, it's, it's not a very original relationship. It's not a very like groundbreaking one, but it's a very sweet little story between these two. It really is. And it's never improper. It's never too adult. It, it, it really seems like a, like a, like a little crush between two teenagers through the entire series until Kingdom Hearts 3 where things seem a little bit more serious because, of course, they're a lot older. Um, there's nothing... Normally in these uh, video games, these 14-year-old kids have very weird, much more advanced relationships than they should have at the age of 14. But Sora and Kairi, they, they really seem like two kids in junior high dating. That's the extent of it. And, well, dating after being really good friends already because, of course, you can be really good friends with someone at any age. Um... So then we uh, Donald and Goofy in this game, Donald and Goofy. Uh, so Mickey is the king of Disney castle. He is a king in this game. And of course these, all these characters personalities are still the same, but their roles are a bit different. Um, it, the only difference in the personality is Donald, instead of being jealous and vindictive of Mickey, which he is in the uh, Mickey mouse universe, Donald has uh, reserves those, feelings for Sora. They're, they're friends, just like Donald is friends with Mickey and the Mickey Mouse universe, whatever you want to call it. But um, Donald's feelings for Mickey in Kingdom Hearts are nothing but reverence and respect. The way he acts towards Mickey in those cartoons is changed over to Sora. Genuinely cares about Sora, but is jealous, vindictive, um, gets mad at him real easy. Goofy has a weird one because Goofy's kind of the brains of the operation. He's the one that figures everything out first. He and he's the one that tries to get everyone to get along and be fine. And he just makes friends so doggone easily because everyone loves Goofy, of course. Um, we have uh, 
and the villains in this game, the villains are brilliant. We have Maleficent, who is sort of the ringleader that we see from the get-go. And Maleficent is great because she's always been the most evil-seeming Disney villain. Even if other Disney villains have done things more evil, Maleficent just seems a lot more evil. And she is joined by Oogie Boogie, uh, Captain Hook, people like that. Hades, who is still voiced by James Wood, who's just an excellent villain. And Sora teams up with all these other great uh, Disney characters, such as uh, Hercules, uh, Tarzan. um, And we get uh, even more uh, in-depth with uh, summons that Sora can do, including uh, Simba. Because, of course, Tetsuya Nomura had to include a lion. We had Simba. Um, But the last character I want to talk about that uh, he designed for this game, the last thing he designed for this game that I want to talk about, I want to talk about Ansem. Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness. Uh, we're going to find out a lot more about Ansem, so I'm just going to talk about Ansem as we know him in Kingdom Hearts 1 because we find out a lot more about this uh, in 2 and beyond. But a- Ansem wants to find the door to darkness because he believes since darkness resides in every heart, that darkness is the truth of the whole universe. The heartless are just trying to reclaim the universe to its truth, which is darkness. And he's a very cool villain because there's nothing really redeeming about him. He's obsessed with darkness he's obsessed with death and misery and he just wants to spread as far as he can because he feels that that's the truth it, it has shades of sargeras from uh warcraft who he was charged with you know uh taming the he was charged with taming the burning legion but through his crusades against them he became corrupted and began to fully believe this is the truth order is the lie i'm going to spread chaos because that's what's actually going on and ansem has a similar as far as we know about him in kingdom hearts one he has a similar goal and so he's going around trying to destroy worlds to unleash the darkness within them and finally open the main door to darkness. And it's in these final moments of Kingdom Hearts. He's like, he finds the door to darkness and he believes that, the, that Kingdom Hearts, this mythological repository of all hearts in the world, the source of all hearts where all hearts return, must be in darkness because darkness is the truth and Kingdom Hearts is the truth. So he finally gets to it and he's opening the door of darkness and he's like, yes, consume me with darkness. And Sora stops him and says, no, I know in my heart of hearts after everything I've seen that Kingdom Hearts is light. He opens the door to darkness and is overtaken by light. And dies, but after immediately after that, we see that there is a world of darkness on the other side. So it's kind of interesting that Kingdom Hearts is a story about love conquering all, and that's a very cheesy, very childish concept. But in a game that allows itself to be cheesy and childish, it becomes a very cool sort of story element. It's something we can swallow a lot more easily than say if the end of Game of Thrones had been about light conquering all. That wouldn't be believable in that story, but in a story like Kingdom Hearts, it can be poignant and neat. So, um, and so uh, the story of Ansem is the story of corruption. Corruption doesn't always make sense. Corruption isn't always going to be uh, relatable. Sometimes corruption is just someone becoming an irredeemably bad person, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Such is the case with Ansem. So, and that really is the the heart and soul of Tetsuya Nomura on Kingdom Hearts. He he proved the whole world that he could be a scenario man. He could be a character designer. He could be a whole games director. And, and so Kingdom Hearts showed the world what all these people at Squaresoft already believed and that he can team up with the biggest entertainment conglomerate in the world tell them how he's going to do it on his first game that he ever directed and make it this legendary series that's beloved still to this day. And so I think nothing more than Kingdom Hearts 1 truly tells 
the incredible story of Tetsuya Nomura. Guys, we've got a lot more of Tetsuya Nomura to talk about next week. I can't wait to talk to you more about him because even after that amazing feat, he only grew from there, and that's what's truly incredible about him. So, guys, uh, if you want to talk more about it, please join our Discord. The link's in the uh, the link will be in the description. We have a Patreon going with exclusive content. Uh, we have uh, merchandise going that we have links to those. Please check those out. And uh, of course, we also have a link to our partners on the Rally Network, who they're all doing really cool stuff. And none of us are doing stuff that steps on each other's toes. So it's not like you have to choose one or the other. You can enjoy all this content because it's all different. It's very diverse and fun, and I, I love being a part of it. And guys, until next week, uh, I'll see you on Sunday. I'll be with Don talking about a game. But uh, until next week, stay safe and have a good weekend.